we're preaching through a series right now uh, on the prayers of Jesus. So we're going through the Gospels and looking at moments where the Gospel writers uh, open the window uh, to us and we get to hear where Jesus is actually praying. Not just that he did pray, because we have uh, several times where we know that he did pray, but we don't get content. We just know that Jesus withdrew to a quiet place to pray. But there are moments where we hear the words that Jesus actually prayed. And so what we're doing in this series, hopefully what you've uh, kind of been thinking about as we've gone into this, is we're approaching this as students, right? We learned in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is our teacher. He wants to teach us how to live this kingdom life. And one of the things that he emphasizes in the Sermon on the Mount is prayer. He teaches us how to pray. A huge section of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus actually praying. And then he tells us that as a people, as a Jesus family, that we're to be an asking and a seeking and a knocking people, people that are pursuing the will of the Father. And so Jesus wants to teach us to pray. And so we've moved into this series and said, okay, what better way to learn to pray than to listen in when Jesus is actually praying? And so that's what we've been doing this series. We're going to be in the book of John this morning in verse 27 and 20, two quick verses, verse 27 and 28. But the last four of these, uh, these sermons, the last bit of this series, all of these uh, times where Jesus is praying are going to come from the last seven days of Jesus's Life. It's interesting, the gospel writers spend a large percentage uh, of their content on that last week of Jesus' life. John, uh, the book of John is probably the greatest of those. He spends 50% of the gospel uh, in the last seven days of Jesus' life. But one of the things leading up to John 12 that, that happens that is really important for us to, uh, to pick up is two other times before John chapter 12, Jesus has said, there's been, there's been a moment where Jesus has been in a pinch, and it looks like whatever situation he is in, it looks like he's either going to be arrested, or he's going to be beaten, or whatever. He's going to get himself into trouble. And two other times, Jesus escapes trouble, and John attaches this phrase. John tells us Jesus' words that Jesus says, the hour has not yet come. It's not quite here. And there's that phrase, the hour has not yet come. And Jesus seemingly uh, is just, uh, we don't quite know all the reasons why, but for whatever reason, he's able to escape from that moment. Now this though is different. And John uses that phrase, the hour has not yet come, and then grabs that phrase and uses it here in John chapter 12. And in verse 23, here's what Jesus says, the hour has come. So it sets off what has happened before, something now very different is going to start to take place. There is a moment that is upon us. In verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What's interesting about this phrase, the hour has come, is that it is in the perfect tense. So what Jesus is, he's not, what he's not saying is, okay, this is the moment where I die. What Jesus is saying, the hour has come. Being in the perfect tense means that the hour has come and is going to stay here. It is a present and continuing moment that is about to begin. The Son of Man being glorified sets off a new hour in history. This 
is the moment. Jesus' death and his resurrection is the hour. The climactic point of the entire story is upon us. And Jesus says that this is the moment where the Son of Man would be glorified. But that hour of his glorification, his resurrection, is going to stay upon us. History is about to change right here in this moment. So that's what's happening leading up to what we're about to see Jesus pray as Jesus announces that the hour is, is here. And so it is packed full of tension at this point in the story. And Jesus in verse 27, Mia read it for us this morning. Jesus says, my soul is troubled. My soul is troubled. Now, we, we've talked a lot about the soul here in this church. Just as a quick reminder, what is the soul? What are we talking about when Jesus says, my soul is troubled? The soul is our mind and our will and our emotions. It's not quite the deepest part of us. It's not our heart. It is not the depths of our spirit, but it is the, the kind of the, the thinking center of a human being. This is where we think. This is where we feel. This is where we choose. It's, it's kind of the, the, the brain portion if you will, of what being a human being is. And Jesus says that his soul is troubled, that there's turmoil in that place of mind and will and emotions. And what's that tied to? Well, he just told us. The hour is here. The moment has arrived. The hour has come. And the, the coming of the hour has set into motion a deep conflict within Jesus' soul. And he says that his soul is troubled. The anticipation of that hour has brought trouble to his soul. But the troubling of the soul is not something that Jesus uniquely experiences here. The troubling of the soul is something that every single one of us at some point and probably many times throughout our life are going to go through. A troubled soul is a normal human experience. What's amazing about this passage when Jesus says that his soul is troubled is that it helps us to connect with the reality of what Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus has shared in our human experience. He has become like us in every way. He empathizes with who we are, with our struggles with our weakness. And here, this moment of obedience has brought upon Jesus a turmoil deep within his being in the place of his soul. And why was that? What was going on? What was held within this hour that would cause Jesus to out loud say, my soul is troubled? Well, what's happening is that the, there was a collision course Jesus' flesh, everything that he was, all of his humanity, was about to clash up against the call to be obedient to the Father. All of his comfort, all of his security, all that in a human being we value, we say, I want to be safe, I want to be secure, I want to be without pain, I don't want to be in conflict. All of that, which is the natural human part of us, is coming into a collision with what the Father has asked as obedience from the Son. For Jesus, and he could see it coming, he could feel it coming, we're getting a window literally into his soul, obedience to the call of the Father was gonna mean further betrayal. Jesus had already experienced betrayal. Jesus had already experienced rejection. But to go further into the hour 
was going to cause further betrayal. Obedience was going to mean significant mental and emotional torment. Obedience was going to mean the highest limits of human pain, physical pain. And beyond all of that, further obedience, what the hour had brought in this moment would be a clash with all of the spiritual forces of darkness. The scriptures tell us that it's a, the image on the cross is a moment where all of the forces of evil and darkness are concentrated in one place on the cross. And Jesus anticipates all of this. He anticipates the betrayal. He anticipates the mental and emotional torment. He anticipates the deep physical anguish. He anticipates this clash with all of the forces of darkness. And it is, it is creating massive tension in the place of his soul. And he says, my soul is troubled. And what is it that is our natural inclination in moments of the troubling of our soul? When we anticipate rejection, when we anticipate pain, when we anticipate betrayal, when we can see those things coming, what is our natural human reaction? What do we want to do? We want to avoid those things, don't we? We want to avoid those things. Inside, our flesh tells us, don't do that, Don't move in that direction because it's going to cause all this pain. Our flesh, our human nature is bent on self-preservation. We want to do what we think is going to be the best feeling, the most comfortable, the most secure thing for us to do. And yet here, the call to obedience is moving Jesus in a different direction. The pain that he's anticipating is not logical. And his soul, everything in him is saying, don't. (laughs) Don't, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in a moment where you are anticipating pain and your flesh reacts against it and says, move away from this, get back, move away. We, We naturally want to do this. But listen, living by faith A life lived by faith in obedience to the will of God by its nature, just that life by itself is going to put us in conflict with our own comfort. There is no way around it that to live a life by faith in obedience to the will of God, you and I will be put in conflict with the will of God and our own comfort. You are going to, as a follower of Jesus, we are going to have to daily lay down what we would see as comfortable for us in order to live a life of faith. It's in faith and by the power of the Spirit that what I'm doing is I'm living in a way that is contrary to my flesh. To follow Jesus means that there are going to be moments and they're going to occur frequently where my flesh wants one thing, but to follow Jesus means I'm going to have to say no to what my flesh desires in order to follow him. It puts us in tension. It puts us in conflict, not only within ourselves, but it also puts us in conflict with the world around us. Because how many of you know that the rhythms of the world are not the rhythms of the kingdom of God? 
And if I'm going to live a life by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not only am I going to be in conflict with my own flesh, my own human desires, but I'm also going to be in conflict with the world around me. I am quite literally living according to the principles of a total different kingdom than the world that I live in. So the reality is Jesus is no different than any one of us here in the fact that we are all, as followers of Christ, we are all gonna have to lay down what is comfortable. We are all gonna have to die to what is fleshly in us in order to walk by faith. But here's the deal, and we're gonna, get to, we're gonna elaborate on this. Even though living by faith and obedience to God's will is going to require you and me to lay down what is comfortable, to give up what is comfortable. I do wanna tell you this, that living by faith and obedience to the will of God will never cause you, never cause you to give up what is truly good. Living by faith and obedience to the will of God will cause you to have to give up what is comfortable, but will never cause you to have to give up what is truly good. But the reality is in sin, what we've done is we've said what is comfortable is always good. You guys with me? And our culture has echoed that phrase, what is comfortable, what you want is what is good. And so when the call to follow Jesus brings us in conflict with what is comfortable, we often move away from obedience for the sake of comfort, but because we think that comfort is good. And comfort is not always good. And sometimes stepping into what is good will require of us to be and remain uncomfortable. But obedience to the will of God will never ask of you to lay down what is truly good. So Jesus says, my soul is troubled. Hang on a minute. I'm gonna, I've had a week off. I'm about to blow out like five minutes into this. <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna bring your attention to a couple of things here before we get into the meat of this prayer. First of all, notice what's happening here. This is, this is an incredible path. These are incredible verses. Jesus prays out loud here. Why is Jesus praying out loud? And you're gonna see in just a second, he's gonna say, I could pray one of two things. But he does all this out loud. Why is Jesus praying out loud? What's he doing? He's teaching us. He's teaching us. He's literally gonna ask a question. What should I pray? Why is he saying this out loud for you and me? So that we can learn how to pray so that we can learn and discern what are my options in prayer? What does it look like to pray in a moment of the troubling of my soul? Jesus is literally teaching us by living this out. He's inviting us into this moment of, of turmoil for him so that we can learn how to live faithfully. He wants us to hear him pray. But the other thing I want you to notice is that immediately after Jesus says, my soul is troubled, he then says, what should I pray? What's he telling us? Where is it that we ought to go in moments of the troubling of our soul? 
What is the tool that we ought to move to, that we ought to pick up in moments of the troubling of our soul? Don't miss this. What is Jesus teaching us to do when there's that conflict of what is comfortable and what I want and obedience and the the troubling of our soul that results? He directs us to where? To prayer. It's a shame that, that so many of us have neglected a praying life because it's the very thing that Jesus points us to. He knows that there is going to be conflict as we seek to follow him, that our soul will be troubled. And when that happens, Jesus teaches us to pray. And I want you to just know, church, listen, just hear him say that prayer is the place where we overcome the desires of the flesh. Our culture tells us, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Our our culture has all sorts of self-help ideas for how to overcome these difficult moments. Your soul is troubled. There's all sorts of recipes for it. Jesus doesn't buy into any of that self-help mess. He says, go to prayer, the place where you rely on the Father. Prayer is the place where we ought to find ourselves when our soul is troubled. Prayer, prayer is that internal seed. It is that beginning of victory, of living by faith. When your soul is troubled, when it's, do I pursue the path of my comfort or do I pursue the will of God? Prayer is the place where you win that battle. Prayer is the place where your flesh is overcome and prayer is the place where you find the strength and the courage to walk in what God is asking you to do. And Jesus teaches us here with, with, with no hesitation. If my soul is troubled, teach us to pray. But there's two options. And Jesus brings us into that reality. There's two options. Look at verse 27. My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? There's a couple of directions that I can go in prayer. What shall I say? And here's the first one. Father, save me from this hour. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. This is an option in prayer. What is this prayer? What's Jesus teaching us? That many times when we see that path of discomfort, when we see that path of pain, what is our immediate reaction? What did I just say? What does our flesh want to do? Avoid pain. And so we respond to our flesh and we say, okay, God, get me out of this. Get me out of this. It's the prayer of self-preservation. We pray that prayer often, don't we? The prayer of self-preservation. This prayer comes from the flesh. The prayer of self-preservation comes from the flesh. It is, in fact, an opposite prayer from the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is to lay myself down, not to preserve myself. This prayer comes from the flesh. Preserve me. Get me out of this mess. I don't want to be in this mess. What this prayer does is this prayer assumes that all pain and suffering is to be avoided. And so when I, when I find myself in a place of pain and suffering, when I find myself in a place of, of sacrifice, of laying myself down and it makes me uncomfortable, I say, this must not be the will of God for me, so God save me from this hour. Save me from this moment. This prayer associates the abundant life with a freedom from any sort of struggle, with a freedom from any sort of tension. But Jesus is gonna show us this is not the appropriate prayer. 
This is not where we should go. He says, what should I say? Save me from this hour and then listen to these words. He says, but it's for this purpose that I have come to this hour. Jesus recognizes here that what God has asked of him to do is to live and step into pain and suffering. That there is purpose that is held within what he will suffer. And that the glory of God is not based on his lack of suffering, but that the glory of God is held within his willingness to suffer obediently. Do you see it? Jesus says, if, what should I say? Should I say, God, get me out of this? But wait a minute. This is the very thing that God has asked me to do. So get me out of this is not the prayer that I'm going to pray. The hour of obedience has placed Jesus in the crosshairs of suffering. And so he says, verse 28, Father, glorify your name. And here, here is the prayer that we pray in the moments where obedience to Jesus has brought on the suffering and the turmoil of our soul. The prayer is not, God, get me out of this. But Jesus says here that this is what I'm gonna, this is what I'm gonna pray. I'm here. This is why I am here. And it has brought on the turmoil of my soul. So what is the prayer in that hour? Father, glorify your name. Can I just say it's, it's amazing to me how complex we make prayer. How many words, can you count to four? Four words. When Jesus teaches us to pray here in the, in the, in the, 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 the throes of suffering, in the throes of turmoil, he teaches us four profound words to pray. Father, glorify your name. This is the prayer that recognizes that regardless of temporary suffering, that the best place for me to be is in the will of the Father. This prayer can see beyond suffering and can realize that even in suffering, it is temporary and the best and safest place for me to be, even in pain, is in God's will. This is the prayer that recognizes that our flesh can lead us astray. Anybody else have a flesh that's up to no good? Anybody else have a flesh that when you follow your natural impulses seems to get you into trouble? Just me. Okay. Just my flesh. I knew it was just me. This prayer recognizes that what I feel and what I want are not always good. And that what I feel and what I want are also not neutral, but it can in sometimes actually lead me away from God's will.
The prayer, save me from this hour, is a response to the anticipation of pain and suffering. And if Jesus were to have responded to that pain and suffering, to push back from what the troubling of his soul was saying to avoid, then Jesus would have been moving away from obedience to the Father. It's this prayer, Father, glorify your name, that recognizes that our flesh can deceive us and is not trustworthy for someone seeking to live an obedient life in the Spirit. This prayer recognizes that three things can never be at odds with one another in God's kingdom. And those three things are our good, God's will, and God's glory. In the kingdom, those three things can never be in conflict with one another. Our good, God's will, and God's glory are always harmonious. They always go together. But what is the only way in which finite creatures with limited understanding and limited perspective, what is the only way in which you and I can live into all three of those things? The only way is obedience. You hear me? This is deep. Come on, we walking? We good? Our good God's glory and God's will are never in conflict with one another. But I, because I'm finite, because I'm not infinite, because I'm not omniscient, because I'm not omnipresent, I cannot always see the ways in which those things are woven together. They are never in conflict, but according to my perception, sometimes I think that they are. Because I think that my suffering is often not for my good when in fact it sometimes is. And so my reaction is to step away from suffering when in fact that can be contrary to God's will. You guys tracking with me. So the only way in which I can live into God's will, God's glory, and my good are through obedience. Because what is obedience doing? It's acknowledging that God, you know what is right and good. Only you know what is according to your will. Only you know the ways in which you will work to glorify yourself in me. And so the only way I get to live into all three of those things is when I'm obedient, even in moments of conflict. It is in that obedience that I step into my good even if it requires my pain. And it is only in obedience that I step into God's glory and God's will. We cannot possibly know all the ways in which God will attend to our every need. He just tells us that he will do it. We cannot know all the ways in which God will work to glorify himself. Have you ever been surprised at the way God did something? Anybody ever have a moment where you go, wow, I didn't see that coming? That was an unlikely way in which God worked to accomplish his will. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe it was even in a moment where you were used and you were going, wow, I didn't see my failure being something that God would use to glorify himself. Are you with me? The point is that if we were to try to figure it out, we would miss it. And it's why obedience is our best friend because obedience presses us into God's will, God's glory, and our good. It trusts him for all three. So Jesus prays. He prays for the glory of the Father. And he knows that even in the midst of his pain, 
that if he lives his life to the glory of the Father, if he prays, but Father, glorify yourself, he knows that that includes the experience for him of the care and the protection of the Father. He knows that to entrust myself to whatever it is that glorifies God is also to entrust myself to the care and the protection of the God that said he will hide me in the shadow of his wings. He knows that a life lived to the glory of the Father will be a life lived in the will of God. And Jesus knows that a life lived according to the will of God will, in fact, glorify God. Are you guys with me? And so he teaches us to pray. He teaches us to pray in these hours of turmoil. And he tells us that there's always gonna be two options in prayer. And one of those options will be, get me out of this. But the other option will be, Father, glorify yourself. The question for us this morning is which of those will we pray? Where will you and I find ourselves this morning? And I wanna emphasize here that Jesus at no point belittles or denies the anguish of his soul. He's straightforward with it. This is not a sign of strength. Jesus is, is humble. He says, listen, my soul is troubled. I'm experiencing deep turmoil. It was as true for Jesus, that experience of the troubling of the soul, it's as true for Jesus as it is for you and me. He knows in every way in which that happens to us as we seek to follow Jesus and yet it puts us in conflict with our own desires, puts us in conflict with the world around us. Jesus is well acquainted with the troubling of our soul and he does not seek to dismiss it. What he teaches us to do is to acknowledge it and pray within it. Where will you and I pray this morning? Maybe right now. Maybe right now your soul is troubled. Maybe right now obedience to Jesus has put you in conflict with those things which you want the most. Maybe right now, faithfulness to live as Jesus has called you to live is asking of you to lay down your deepest and greatest desires. And your soul is troubled. What will you pray? If that's not you this morning, wait till tomorrow morning. <laughs> because listen, it is a fact that we, in choosing to follow Jesus, we are going to experience the trouble moments of the soul. Something's not right if you live your entire life following Jesus and you are never in conflict with your desires or with the world around you. Something is way wrong. If you have lived your entire Christian life comfortable, check your pulse. Because there is good odds that you are not actually following Jesus. 
Because the call to follow Jesus is a call to pick up our cross daily, to die to the things which we want, to die to the things which the world says are so important and so valuable. By nature, following Jesus is going to bring you into troubled moments of the soul where obedience is a different path than your security, my security, and our comfort. And Jesus doesn't say, you weakling, how can you, how can you have a troubled soul? Jesus acknowledges it as a normal part of the experience of wanting to be obedient with the Father. And then he teaches us to pray within it. Beloved, the question is, what will you pray when that hour comes? What will we pray? You know, Jesus, just before this, as a guarantee that we're all gonna have these moments, Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And by the way, if you didn't know what that means, and where I am, my servant will also be. So if Jesus finds himself in the midst of this soul turmoil, guess what? There also will be those who follow him. Be encouraged, you're not the only one. Jesus has walked this path before you and Jesus teaches us in this moment what it looks like to in the midst of that turmoil and pain to pray, Father, would you glorify yourself? I want you to stand this morning as we enter our time of invitation. Where will we find ourselves this morning? Again, maybe you're in that moment of turmoil. Maybe you're coming out of it. Maybe it's upon you. My prayer for us this morning as we've listened to Jesus, as he's brought us into this intimate moment in his own soul, as he struggles to walk in obedience to the Father, my prayer is it would spark in us the courage to pray with Jesus. Father, glorify your name. That's a courageous prayer. But it is profound in the life of the believer. It is profound for us to say, God, I'm not gonna ask you to rescue me from this. I'm gonna pray that you would be glorified. And I'm gonna trust that if that means that you don't rescue me from this hour, it is for my good, in your will, and for your glory. That is the prayer of a mature Christ follower. But it's a prayer, which means it requires no level of strength for you to pray it. It's a prayer of helplessness. It's a prayer that acknowledges that in myself, I cannot know what to do in this hour of soul suffering, but I am gonna entrust myself to the one who knows what is best and can deliver me for his glory. It is a prayer of weakness that is your greatest strength. In this hour this morning, what will we pray? If you wanna pray with somebody, and sometimes that is the most important thing you can do. There will be people right out these double doors that would love to pray with you. All you got to do is just walk out there, put your hand up, acknowledge that you're no, you're not going to the bathroom, you're not going to get your kids, uh, but you're just coming to pray and we'll pray with you. If you just need to put your face down, 
on these steps that is always open to you. My prayer over us this morning, if you would just close your eyes and open your hands, my prayer over us this morning, God, in this house, by the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to pray. Father, glorify your name. Amen.